sort of interesting that the choir should be singing about Bethlehem's Hill because my illustration, first illustration, has to do with a mountain, Mount Everest. James R. Edwards writes in his book, The Divine Intruder, about how shocked he was to read about an event in um, May of 1996 when there were many people trying to ascend Mount Everest. And he read about um, two Japanese hikers, climbers, who were passing, who passed by three other climbers who were ill and freezing. And, you know, when you're trying to climb Mount Everest, there's only a certain, you have to leave at a certain time. There's only a certain number of days you can do this. And these, the climbers got so caught up in making that ascent to the summit that they bypassed these men who were freezing and they died. And Edwards, who's a Bible professor and minister, used that illustration time and again to talk about the ego, egoism of humanity and how that can cause us to do things that um, is so, you know, in this, in this sense, fatal, lethal. He felt like, you know, climbers, especially knowing the dangers of the mountains, should each be their brother's keepers. And yet a few years later, he was leading a college study group to, on a tour of the Middle East, and they were going to climb Mount Sinai to watch the sunrise. And compared to Mount Everest, it's about 7,500 feet. It doesn't have the perils of the lack of oxygen and lack of judgment that the lack of oxygen creates, I guess, on Mount Everest. But as they were ascending, he and these students, pre-dawn, they passed two Bedouins bringing down a man on a stretcher And he assumed that what was happening was pulmonary edema, which is caused by ascending too quickly. And so you have to get somebody down lower, faster, which they they were trying to do. Well, he said that Edwards gave him his flashlight, and he felt like, well, you know, I helped out some. And then he continued to take his students on up to the summit and saw a beautiful sunrise, and they were thrilled by that. And yet that was tainted when they were going back down and they saw not far from where they'd seen the two Bedouins, a man laying on a, underneath a blanket with two feet sticking up out of it. And it struck him painfully about how he was so judgmental about those folks on Everest and yet he found that he reacted in the same way as they did. What he said, the way he said it was, what I had found so loathsome in the two Japanese climbers on Everest had been essentially repeated in my own action on Mount Sinai. As we search the story of epiphany for meaning, we may be disappointed to find that we too live on opposite sides of the same coin On good days, we can identify with the Magi. We assume that the Magi were not Jewish since they did not know the Jewish prophecy about where their Messiah was to be born. And yet they searched for days and days and then worshipped. 
the young king who was born to redeem the Jewish people. How unusual, not only for adults to kneel before a child in that day, but for foreign adults to kneel before this Jewish child. At that time, joy dawned in the lives of the Magi. And on good days for us, like the Magi, we are seeking and finding one who redeems us, one who gives meaning to our lives. We are making our decisions by his standards and not by our own egos that make us bypass people who are having difficulties. But then there's King Herod on the other side of the coin. The advent of Jesus the Messiah brought a different kind of dawn for him. Herod was a Jew. And he was put in charge of this certain territory by Romans. And even though he was in charge of the Jews, he was the antithesis of a benevolent king. If... Well, I just think Vincent Price could have played a good King Herod. You know, we always think of Vincent Price as playing the villain. King Herod was a villain. Will Willimon notes notes that he murdered most of his good friends, his wife, and three of his sons. He was threatened by everybody, and it was said of Herod in his own day that it was better to be his sow than his son. The pig in the royal barnyard had a better hope of survival. Well, Matthew tells us how frightened Herod was. And not just Herod, but all Jerusalem with him. And fear can lead us to do some amazingly violent acts. And so as we picture ourselves on this other side of the coin... I think it's good for us to ask ourselves whether we ever are motivated by fear. Now, sometimes that can be a good thing, of course. It's something inside us, that fight-or-flight thing, where something scares us, and so we run for safety. And yet, fear also can cause us to lash out offensively when somebody is getting too close to us, or to seek revenge when we feel hurt or even threatened. In the Confessions, written late in the 4th century, Augustine writes openly about his days of fear. He says, I carried inside me a cut and bleeding soul, and how to get rid of it I just didn't know. I sought every pleasure, the countryside, sports, Fooling around, the peace of a garden, friends and good company, sex, reading. My soul floundered in the void and came back upon me. For where could my heart flee from my heart? Where could I escape from myself? So you can see in, in just this section that Augustine is searching. He's been searching and searching and trying all kinds of things to fill up this void inside him. And finally, through reading Plato, one writer says, Plato led him to the writings of Paul and to the book of Romans. And he read a little bit of it, but then there was one day 
when he was sitting in the garden and he thought he, he heard a young child singing the words translated, take and read, take and read. And so he picked up this book of Romans that he had, and as was the, the um, habit of the day at times, people would open up a Bible, and we do it today still, open up a Bible and we're looking for something to tell us, you know, to be our guiding star, I guess. And, and he, what he read was this passage from Romans. I'll start with verse 12 in chapter 13. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. After all of Augustine's nights of searching, the sun had exploded over the horizon. That was the day that Augustine decided to follow the Jesus of Christianity. The joyful magi on one side of the coin, King Herod on the other. It's our coin as well. How much better would we be, we wonder, if we found ourselves modeling the Magi, searching for Jesus until we found him? How much better would we be, we wonder, if we found ourselves modeling the Magi who are motivated by light and joy? The joy of Christ can bring dawn to any darkness, and yet we have to be searching for it. This table we surround today is a strong table. It's strong enough to support both the fearful Herod and the joyful Magi. Strong enough to support our darkest nights and our brightest days. Where are you? Is it nighttime for you or is it daytime? Wherever you are, You can bring yourself and your situation to this table. And there is joy to be found here. There is joy to be found when we too see Jesus. Perhaps you're right in the middle. Perhaps your sun is just rising now. Perhaps it is dawn again in your life with so many pinks and lavenders and golds coloring your sky. Allow that joy to come to you through this table where we celebrate the birth of the child Jesus, the life and sacrifice of the man Jesus, and the even greater Christ who will meet us again at the heavenly feast. Let's pray together. Here we are, O God. We come to you seeking. Help us to find you. Help us to touch you as we hold the bread and as we taste the juice. Let them be the reminders that we need of your power 
of your love, of your sustenance, and of your joy. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Christ. Amen.